Welcome to Epic, everybody, for the good morning. For those of you who are new with us, my name's Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And if you're new with us, I would love to meet you. Uh, if you're on campus, uh, when I'm in the lobby after the service, if you just come up and say hi to me, I'd love to welcome you to our church family. For those of you who are new, whether on campus or online, we are today in part two of a series called Walk with Jesus. And what we're doing in this series is we are following Jesus from the start of his earthly ministry all the way up to the start of the New Testament church. And we're learning together what it means to really be one of Jesus' disciples. And so this is going to be one big series that takes us all the way up until May. And it's going to have several smaller mini-series in it. So uh, we're in the series right now called Walk with Jesus. Our next mini-series is called Learn from Jesus. And we're going to look at the core teachings of Christianity, the core teachings that Jesus taught over and over and over again. And then we're going to look at encounters with Jesus. And we're going to look at how some encounters that people had with Jesus radically transformed their lives and how those encounters can transform our lives. And then around Easter, we're going to celebrate Easter by looking at the unbelievable Easter story. And we're going to learn together that God makes the unbelievable believable. Uh, so I hope that you'll join us for this entire series. And uh, here's what I say to those of you who are exploring faith, maybe new to faith. Uh, I think this series can really help you understand what it looks like or what it should look like for you to follow Jesus. If you are a Christ follower, I think this series can help all of us. It's already helped me significantly evaluating how I'm doing at following Jesus. And I think this series can, can do that for all of us. Now, today we are going to learn about the type of people that Jesus asked to be his followers. And if you're new to this, what we're going to learn today just might be some brand new information, just might shock you a little bit of the type of people that Jesus invited to be some of his closest followers. And we're going to learn how that impacts us today. Now, last week, as we started, we learned the first two things that Jesus did as he began his earthly ministry. So the first thing, anybody remember what the first thing was? Baptized. He was baptized. Yes, he was baptized. The very first thing that Jesus did, he was baptized. If anybody didn't need to be baptized, it was Jesus. But he modeled that for us. So if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you haven't followed that up through baptism, I recommend that you do that. And you can sign up on our website at theepicchurch.com under our signups tab. And we'll have our next baptism on Easter, which is April the 9th, just around the corner. We'd love to celebrate baptism with you. The second thing that Jesus did was he went into the wilderness and he fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. And while he was in the wilderness, he engaged a spiritual battle with our real enemy called Satan. So if you're like, I don't know that, that I believe in Satan, Jesus believed in him. And Jesus had a, a spiritual battle against him. And Jesus actually taught us how to engage spiritual warfare with the enemy. I encourage you, if, if you didn't uh, listen to last week's message, I encourage you to go listen to that. You can gain a lot of information about how to engage spiritual warfare with the enemy. Now, I also told you last week that we are going to follow Jesus' example and we're gonna fast uh, at the beginning of this year. 
If you're new with us, we fast at the beginning of every year in the life of our church. And we've done three-week fast, we've done two-week fast, and everybody at Epic is so excited because we're going to do a one-week fast this year. And I'll tell you why we're doing a one-week fast in, in just a minute. But if you're new to fasting, if you're new to biblical fasting, most often we're familiar with fasting of some sort. You know, if you've done a blood work uh, for a doctor or a nurse before, then there's a good good chance that you've done that fasting. If you've ever done intermittent fasting, that's kind of a, a latest buzz thing that's going on out there. You understand that a little bit. But when it comes to biblical fasting... Biblical fasting is the voluntary practice of giving up something physical. Most often in scripture, it was food related. So some type of food or some specific amount of food for an amount of time, you would set that aside for a specific amount of time to gain something spiritual back from the Lord. So that's what fasting is all about. And fasting is a great spiritual discipline that all of us can engage together. If you are new to fasting, I encourage you to get our fasting preparation guide. There should be a QR code coming up on the screen so you can click that. It'll take you directly to our fasting preparation guide. If you'd like a paper copy, stop by uh, our Connection Center in our lobby. You can pick that up. If you're watching online, there should be a link in the chat section for that. That'll give you a whole lot of information about how to get ready for a biblical fast that we'll do this year. Now, um, our, our fast is going to happen on January the 23rd, so a week from tomorrow, and it will end on January the 29th. So on that morning, on the 29th, we're going to have our typical services here, but that evening at six o'clock in this room, we're going to have a night of worship and prayer and praise, and we're going to celebrate communion together and break our fast together. Um, so I hope that you'll be a part of that. Again, 6 p.m., um, on the 29th. Put that on your calendar. We'll tell you more about that uh, as that gets closer. Now, the reason I want us to do a one-week fast this year is because I want to invite everybody to be a part of this. Again, if you're brand new, you might think like fasting, why would anybody give up food for any reason? Like I get that. Uh, but again, there's a whole lot that we can learn from this ancient spiritual discipline if we will engage it. God can teach us a whole lot about ourselves and about our relationship with him and grow our relationship with him. I also want to challenge us to fast to a new level. So many of you have fasted with us for a number of years. And uh, this year, I'm challenging us to a new level of fasting. So don't just do the typical thing that you normally do. And sometimes we get into this pattern. I've done it in my own life where, where it comes around to fasting again. I'm like, I'll just do what I did last year. This year, I'm challenging, challenging us not to do that. Find something new that'll stretch you in new ways in your, your relationship with God, your dependence upon him, and commit to doing that thing for one week. And um, in addition to that, there's several other things I, I want us to do as we are fasting. So our focus this year, I want to be on someone else. So for this year, I want us to challenge ourselves in our fasting for someone else. And the reality is we all know people around us that are hurting we all know people around us who need God to work in their lives. And we know people that are struggling financially or struggling relationally, struggling in their job, struggling with their health. We know people everywhere that are struggling in so many ways. And just imagine how meaningful it could be for them if they knew there's somebody who cares enough about them to fast and pray for them for a week. The really cool thing is there's somebody might be doing that for you. 
They might be thinking about you when it comes to fasting because of what's going on in your world. So that's one of the challenges I, I want us to, to have this year and one of the focuses. The, the second focus that I want us to have is I'd like to ask you to, to pray and fast for our building process. So I'm gonna give you an update about that in a few weeks. Um, but for those of you who don't know, we're in the process of trying to get a, a building designed and uh, get a building built. We own 16 acres of land down on the State Road 100 corridor. And we would all love to be in our brand new building one day soon, wouldn't we? Yes. Yep. So uh, we'll be talking about that, but I'm gonna ask during our time of fasting that you would be praying uh, for us for that and that God would give us the wisdom that we need. Now, next week, we're going to hand out these cards. These are fasting cards that we'll make available on each seat. There's actually some in our lobby at our Connection Center right now. And on one side, it just says, what are you fasting from and what are you fasting for? Just an opportunity for you to write those things down. Next week, we're going to ask you to turn these in because we'll take them, we'll get them to our elders and our prayer team. And our elders and our prayer, prayer team will be praying for you every day as you walk through this fast. So you will not be alone. There'll be a whole bunch of people praying for you during this time frame. So again, I'll remind you about that next week. Well, after Jesus was baptized, after Jesus fasted for 40 days, Matthew chapter four tells us that he moved to a town called Capernaum. If you're not familiar with Capernaum, it's a very small rural town on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's, it's this area that some people would say like, uh, why would anybody live there? And people would ask, why would Jesus begin his earthly ministry in that small community? Like nobody does anything in Capernaum. And if you don't know about that region, I told you in our Christmas series that that region of Israel became known as the land of darkness. There were many Gentiles that moved into that region of Israel and they brought with them their evil practices of worshiping their gods. Specifically, uh, many of them would sacrifice their own children to those gods. That became a very evil section of the world. And we learned in our Christmas series that Jesus came and he started his earthly ministry there that was prophesied 700 years prior by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And Jesus came to shine his light in that dark region of the world. I love the reality that Jesus did that then and Jesus is still doing it now. He's still shining his light in dark parts of the world and he's still shining his light into dark parts of our lives. Jesus loves to bring light into darkness. Well, after he moved to Capernaum, Matthew chapter four, verse 18, tells us the next thing that Jesus did. It says this, it says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Verse 21 says a little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Now, if you're new to faith, new to the Bible, you might hear that and, and wonder, why would four grown men leave their father, leave their, their jobs, leave their home to go follow Jesus across the, the countryside. Why would anybody do that? 
Well, to understand why they would do that immediately, we have to look back into that culture. We have to understand how someone became a follower of a rabbi back in those days. And rabbi just means teacher. So how did somebody do that back then? Why was that significant? Well, back in those days, not just anyone could be a follower of a rabbi or religious teacher. Back in those days, in that Jewish culture, when children went off to school, what we would call elementary school, they had basically one primary textbook. It was known as the Torah. So the Torah was made up of the first five books of the Old Testament part of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So these students would go off to school and they would spend all of their time in the Torah. They would learn how to read it. They would learn how to write from it. They would recite much of it. And by the time they graduated from that level of their education, these elementary school kids could quote books of the Bible, like Genesis, Exodus, or Leviticus. Can you imagine being able to quote a whole book of the Bible? Like, I struggle with that. I struggle to to memorize one chapter out of the Bible. I struggle with one verse at times. And yet these elementary school students were able to recite big sections of scripture. But around what we would call middle school, around 12 or 13 years of age, most children were done with their education, that part of their education. Young girls uh, would move off around 13 or 14. They would begin to learn how to take care of a family because many of them were starting families. Anybody think that's crazy at 13 or 14? Yep, that's a little crazy to us. In that culture, that was a very real thing that happened on a regular basis. Young boys would go off and learn their their family trade, whatever that was, uh, to provide for their families. But there were a few young boys who would be invited to the next level of Jewish education called Bet Midrash. In Bet Midrash, these young students would study the deeper meanings of the Torah as well as start learning and memorizing the rest of the 39 books of the Old Testament part of the Bible, which is the Bible that Jesus had in his day. So they would go through that level of education for a few more years. They would, again, learn and memorize from the Old Testament part of the Bible, but not all of them would continue on to the next level of their education. So the next level of education involved becoming what is known or what was known as a Talmud. So Talmud is a Hebrew word for disciple. So that's what it meant in that day. They had to apply to become a disciple. So it was, it was basically like an apprenticeship program that, that we have today in the trades or, or many careers. So that's the context of what that was like in Jesus' day. But a Talmud didn't just want to learn what their rabbi knew. A Talmud wanted to be just like their rabbi. A disciple wanted to know what their rabbi knew, wanted to interpret scripture the way that their rabbi did, wanted to be as passionate as their rabbi was, wanted to live just like their rabbi. But again, not just anybody could be a disciple. You had to prove that you were worthy. And you had to be chosen to be a disciple. So let's put us all in the context of that. So let's say that we're a a group of Jewish disciples. We've been learning. We've been in our educational system. And we've made it through the first few levels. And we want to become true Talmuds of a rabbi. So what we would do is we would go find a rabbi that we want to follow. And we would go basically apply to that rabbi. We would go up to that rabbi and say, Rabbi, uh, I would like to be your disciple. 
I think I have what it takes to become just like you. Now, again, it's not about information. It's not about just learning what that rabbi knew. It's about living just like that rabbi. So that rabbi would look at our lives. That rabbi would evaluate our lives over a period of time. So he's not just interested in the information that we know. He's interested, can you live the way that I live? His reputation would be on the line if he chose poorly and his disciples didn't live up to his reputation or carry on his legacy, nobody else would follow him as a rabbi. So very few people were ever chosen to be disciples. So if we were in that spot and a rabbi observed our lives, that rabbi might look at us. And if that rabbi thought, you know what? I think you have what it takes. I think you have the passion that I have, the drive that I have, the understanding that I have. I think you, I think you get it. I think you could actually do what I do. That rabbi would say to that potential disciple, come, follow me. I think you could become just like me. But if that rabbi didn't think that that potential student could do what he did, then he would say, go learn your family trade, which basically means you're not good enough. Like you don't make the cut. Like your name's not on the list and you can't be one of my disciples. Many students didn't make the cut, but there were a few who did. And those who made the cut became disciples of their rabbi. They would follow their rabbi until their rabbi said, it's time for you to become your own rabbi. You've learned enough. You've lived enough. Now go make your own disciples. So it's a big process. You could tell there's a whole lot that, that went into that. Not just anybody could, could become a disciple. So that explains a little bit more why in Jesus' day, when he invited Peter, Andrew, James, and John to come follow him, it explains a little bit more why they left everything to go follow him. They were fishermen. That means they hadn't made the cut. They couldn't make it through the first several levels of the educational system. They were the not good enoughs. They were the overlooked. They were the, the JV team. And they didn't make the cut into varsity. And so Jesus comes along and he says, I think you have what it takes. I think you could become just like me. He believed in them. And so he said, come, follow me. They left everything to go follow him. Now, in Jesus' disciples, um, he selected 12 disciples, became known as his 12 apostles. And uh, that's an interesting group of, of people. If you're not familiar with them, his disciples included some fishermen that we just learned about, a tax collector that was known as a traitor to his country because he worked for Rome and collected taxes from other Jewish people. So imagine how much the rest of Jesus' disciples loved having Matthew, the tax collector, in their group. Then there was a doubter, there was a betrayer, a political activist, and some outspoken guys that got themselves into a whole lot of trouble. So this is a really interesting group that Jesus selected as his closest disciples. And I'm sure other rabbis around Jesus were asking, Jesus, what are you going to do with that group? Like, they couldn't even make the JV team, Jesus. Like, what are you going to do with them? And it's through that ragtag group of disciples, Jesus changed the world. And he's still changing the world through people just like that. But that's not the only people that Jesus invited to be his disciples. On one occasion, a rich young ruler ran up to Jesus 
and he was very religious. He'd been following God most of his life, very good at, at following God. And he runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and scripture says he loved him. So he's looking at this guy and he's like, man, I love you. I love your passion for God. But what Jesus recognized in this guy's heart was there was something that he loved more than God and it was his stuff. And so he challenged the guy. He said, listen, I want you to, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sell all your stuff and come follow me. And scripture says that that guy walked away very sad because he loved this stuff really more than he loved God. So that guy, unfortunately, rejected Jesus' offer to be one of his disciples. But Jesus invited everybody to be his disciple. He invited the educated, the uneducated, the wealthy, the poor, the religious, the non-religious. Again, he invited everybody. And when Jesus invited people, most often what he said to them was just simply, come follow me. He didn't say, hey, come believe everything that I believe. He didn't say, come do everything that I'm gonna do. He just said, come follow me and I will teach you what it means to be my disciple. I think the interesting thing is that Jesus is still walking the shoreline of the landscape of our lives and he's still inviting people to be his disciple. He's still inviting people today. He's saying, hey, why don't you come follow me? This is gonna sound a little bit weird especially those of you who are committed Christ followers. But for those of you who aren't, maybe you're not a Christ follower yet. I think you could follow Jesus without committing to him yet. Now, I know that might sound a little bit weird, but I think if you're curious about Jesus, I, th I think if you're on uh, a journey, some spiritual journey, you've been looking for something that you're not sure what that is, and, and you've been on a journey to try to figure that thing out, I think you could actually follow Jesus and learn from him over a period of time without committing to him. Just learn what it means to become one of his followers. Um, here's my challenge for you. If you're in that spot, if, you, if you're not a Christ follower yet, here's what I challenge you to do. I challenge you to commit to attending or watching online every week until Easter. That's April 9th, just around the corner, just 12 short weeks away. So what I challenge you to do, if you're not a Christ follower yet, I challenge you to just follow Jesus and just learn from him over the next 12 weeks. Because the reality is there's a really good chance you've been searching for something for years and you're not sure what it is. You're not sure who it is. You might not even think, I don't even think God is a part of that, but there's some hole in your heart and you're searching for what that puzzle piece is that would fit that hole. I think that puzzle piece is Jesus, but you'll have to decide. And I think if you commit to coming over the next several months, you'll be able to gather lots of information about Jesus and you'll be able to make your own decision about what it means for you to really commit to following him. So that's my challenge for those of you who possibly might be in that spot. Now, at some point, Jesus is going to ask us to stop just learning about him and he's gonna ask us to commit to him. He's gonna ask us to be all in, to make him our personal Lord and Savior and kind of make it official that I really am a disciple of Jesus. I really do wanna to learn to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to become more like Jesus. And maybe some of you are at that spot. Maybe you have searched 
and you have spent some time exploring and following Jesus, maybe for months, maybe for years, and maybe you're at that spot where you know you need to make that decision. And here's why that is so important. Sometimes uh, we have this weird idea that we can follow Jesus. And if we just walk closely enough to him, if we just do some religious things, like maybe attend church, like maybe read the Bible, maybe help little old ladies across the street. If we just do that kind of stuff on a regular basis, God will be proud of us. And when we die and pass from this life into the next, God will welcome us into his eternal heaven because we followed close enough. That's not true from scripture. We don't get points for following you know, close by. How we enter into heaven for all of eternity is by officially becoming a disciple of Jesus, saying, I'm in. Jesus, I'm all in. I give you my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I'm in. Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I want to invite you to be my personal Lord and Savior. I'm turning from my sin. I'm going to repent of my sin. Turn from that, and I'm going to turn to you, and I'm going to learn to live and love like you, Jesus. We've got to get to a spot where we commit and make it official that we are Jesus' disciples. And if you're in that spot where you've been exploring for months, maybe years, today could be the day. Today could be the day you say, I'm in. Jesus, I'm officially one of your disciples. We'll come back to that in a minute. Now, if you're a Christ follower, either on campus or, or watching online. I assume that, that there are many Christ followers uh, in this audience. If you're a Christ follower, uh, how are you doing at following Jesus? You know, if you'd look back over this past year and evaluate 2022, what would you say about how you've done this past year? Are, are you a little bit more like Jesus now than at the beginning of 2022? Are you a little bit, a little bit less like Jesus now? How have you been doing at loving people who are hard to love? or forgiving people who have hurt you? How are you doing at really trusting God instead of trusting yourself? How are you doing at fighting off temptation that has come along this past year? How are you doing at reading scripture and applying it to your life? How are you doing at focusing more on eternity than on the here and now? We'll spend way more time in eternity. We need to focus on that and prepare for that, but sometimes, we get so caught up in the here and now, we forget about eternity. So have you been preparing for eternity or just focusing on today? Have you been helping other people prepare for their eternity as well? Scripture says we're all gonna live forever somewhere, either with God or apart from God. Have you been helping people around you understand how they can live with God forever? Or have you been too caught up in your goals, your aspirations that you have for your own life? So how have you been doing at following Jesus? You know, I grew up in church world, and one of the things that, that I learned in church world was this definition of spiritual maturity. And, and it was not a definition that was out there for anybody really to, to, to quote from, but as I grew up in church world, this is the definition of spiritual maturity that I kind of gleaned. This is what I, I determined, felt like I evaluated my relationship with God, a lot of other relationships with God. Like, this is what spiritual maturity means. So when I was growing up, this is what a lot of people thought. Uh, if you knew a lot about the Bible, plus you've known it for a very long time, that meant you were spiritually mature. It didn't really matter if you applied anything that you knew, but if you knew a lot about the Bible and you knew it a long time, 
uh, often we would label those people as spiritually mature. But as I've grown in my relationship with God, I've found that that's not how God defines spiritual maturity. This is how God defines spiritual maturity. How much of the Bible that we know plus how much we apply. God says that's spiritual maturity. When we learn this much of the Bible and we apply this much, God says, that's great. We learn a little bit more. God wants us to apply a little bit more. There's this major difference in Christianity between knowing a lot about the Bible and applying very little or applying what we know. And this is what God wants for us. When we learn, we apply. That's where transformation comes from. Information plus application equals transformation. That's how God transforms our lives. When we take the information about what it means to follow him and we apply it to our lives, that's how we become a little bit more like Jesus. That's the process of how God transforms our lives to become a little bit more like Jesus every day. So if you're a Christ follower, how are you doing at applying what you already know? A few years ago, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about this topic. And uh, I was really challenging him in his relationship with God. And he had kind of drifted into coast zone and he was just kind of cruising in his relationship with God. He knew a lot about uh, the Bible, knew a lot about God. He'd known it for a very long time, but I was challenging him saying, hey, you've got to apply what you know. It's not about just knowing more information. It's about applying that information. This is what he basically said to me. He basically said, Trent, there's nothing new that you can already tell me. I've heard it all my life. I know all the Bible stories. I know all the Bible lessons. I'm just not applying what I know. And he said it in the context of like, I'm good. Like, I'm probably not gonna apply what I know from scripture, but I'm good. So he was kind of going back to that definition. I know a lot about the Bible. I've known it for a very long time and I'm good in my relationship with God. I walked away from that just feeling so bad for my friend. I'm like, buddy, you don't get it. It's not just about information. It's about application. And as I was walking away, the Holy Spirit whispered to me and said like, hey, why don't you evaluate your life? So I began the process of evaluating my life. And I recognized I knew a whole lot more about walking with Jesus than I was applying to my life. It was very humbling in that moment. And you know what? I still struggle with that to this day. So here's a recent example. Recently, several weeks ago, I was working on this message and I was asking God, God, how do we convey this information to our church family about application? It's not just about information. And I'm working hard in my mind about that. And I got interrupted by somebody who needed help. And in that moment, you know, I'm deep in thought. I'm like, ah, I don't want to lose this, this thought, this train of thought that I have. I really don't want to help this person in this moment. And then the Holy Spirit whispered and said, hey, do you just want to teach people about this or do you actually want to apply it? I'm like, oh, this is an object lesson for me right now. So he goes, time out on the preparation and go and serve this person. So I stopped and I went and served that person. I'm so glad I did. We had this great interaction and, and it helped me significantly moving information into application in my life. I'm so glad that I did that. And again, it's a whole lot easier to learn about Jesus than it is to learn to become like Jesus. So if you're a Christ follower, how are you doing at that? Now, when I ask that, I'm not asking to make you feel guilty. And most often, we feel pretty guilty all the time. Um, but we need to give ourselves some grace from that. For too long, many of you have been 
Satan's punching bag. Satan has just beat you up, making you feel guilty over and over again because you're not living enough the way that you should be living. If you're in that spot, just kind of wrestling with that tension of that, or maybe you don't feel worthy to to be in a relationship with God or still be a disciple of his because you've kind of messed up, I challenge you to read Romans chapter seven and Romans chapter eight later today. In Romans seven, you'll hear from the apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament part of the Bible. You'll hear him say, listen, I struggle with applying what I know. So there's things that I don't want to do. I do those things, things that I I do. I don't want to do those things. Who's going to save me from me? Like I'm struggling with really following Jesus and applying what I know I need to apply. Who can save me from myself? I thank God the answer is Jesus. And then in Romans 8, verse 1, he says, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no condemnation for you. You might say, but I messed up. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you're one of his disciples and you mess up, just get up and run to him and say, I'm sorry, and keep following him. God knows we will mess up. He knows that we're gonna do that. And he says, when you do that, don't throw in the towel. Don't think that that you're too guilty or too bad to follow me and then distance yourself from me. Just get up and run back to me quickly and keep applying what it means to follow me. So if you're in that spot, and you're wrestling with guilt, I encourage you, just recommit to God. Recommit to following him closely. He loves you and he wants you back. As we close, our worship team is gonna sing a song today called No Turning Back. As we sing, if you're a Christ follower, I encourage you just to spend some time evaluating your relationship with God. Is there any area where you know you're not applying what you should? Don't feel guilty about that. Just allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and determine, you know, I don't want to do that. I'm going to start living the way that I know I need to be living. If you're curious about becoming a Christ follower, again, I challenge you to keep coming. Keep coming each week on campus or keep joining us online for the next 12 weeks and just explore what it means to follow Jesus. And then if you've been following Jesus for a while and you're ready to make him your Lord and Savior today, I'm going to guide you through that as we close in prayer in just a minute. Next week, we'll talk more about fasting and uh, we'll give out our fasting preparation uh, guides as well as our fasting cards and encourage you to fill those out. So be praying about who you wanna fast for, what you wanna fast from. And today, if you've got a spiritual question or you've got something heavy on your heart that you wanna talk about, stop by our care center before you leave. We'd love to help you any way that we can. If you're watching online, email us at care at theepicchurch.com and we will help you any way that we can. So if you would, Let's pray together, and then we're going to sing. Jesus, I'm so grateful that when you came to planet Earth and you started your earthly ministry, you started in a very dark region of our world, and you proved to us that you came to shine your light in all parts of the world, in all parts of our lives. And then Jesus, when you began your ministry and you started inviting people to be your disciples, I'm just in shock of who you chose. Nobody would choose those guys to be their closest disciples. And yet you did. You chose the JV team, the not good enoughs, the the overlooked people. And through them, you transformed the world. And you're still transforming the world. You're transforming individual lives. And 
I'm so grateful that you didn't just invite certain people to follow you. You invited everybody to follow you and you're still doing that. You're still inviting people to become your disciples because you believe we have what it takes to become more like you. Lord, the reality is some of us have been following you. We haven't been doing a really good job. We look back over this past year, maybe we'd admit, you know, we've gotten off track with you. We've messed up a few too many times and sometimes when we get into that spot, we don't feel worthy. We feel too guilty and we distance ourselves from you. So as we pray, if you're a person in that spot and you're struggling in your relationship with God and really applying what you know you need to do, would you just raise your hand up for a second so I can pray for you? There's hands all over. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray for these folks. Lord, the reality is all of us will be in their spot at some point or another. We all struggle in applying what we know we need to apply. And I'm so grateful for your grace that you pour out abundantly for us. So Lord, may we apply that grace to us. May we walk in your grace, your forgiveness, and your mercy every day. And may we learn what it really means to become more like you. As we continue to pray, there just might be somebody here on campus or somebody online who's at that spot where you know it's time for you. You've followed Jesus enough. You've learned enough about him, but you've never made him your Lord and Savior. You've never made it official that you're one of his disciples. And right now could be that moment for you. So if you're in that spot, here's what I encourage you to pray. What I encourage you to, to, to say in a conversation with God right now while we're praying is that, God, I need you. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you, Jesus, are that Savior. And you died so I could have eternal life. And I ask you today to come into my life as my personal Lord and Savior. If you have that genuine conversation with God today, Jesus will respond. He will step into your life. He will teach you what it means to become one of his followers. And he will welcome you into his eternal home when you pass from this life into the next. And I'm just curious, is there anybody here on campus or online willing to say, you know what, that's me. I'm praying that prayer today for the first time in my life. If so, would you hold your hand up? Just hold your hand up just for a second. I see one hand, two hands, three hands. Thank you for that. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, God, I thank you for these courageous people willing to say, you know what? I've explored enough and now I've got to be all in. And I'm so grateful for the promise of scripture. When we have that genuine conversation with you, you respond and you step into our lives and teach us how to live. So Lord, I pray that you would teach these folks how to grow in their relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would teach all of us that. And I pray, Lord, that today's service would be a defining moment for us. As we sing this closing song, no turning back, Lord, that we would commit to really following you through the good times, through the bad times, no matter what happens, we will follow you because you're the only one that holds the key to eternal life. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.